Welcome in to another jubilant edition of At the Buzzer, your Colorado Buffaloes news source and opinion source now, too. Um, and the reason I say jubilant is we're 1 0, baby. Uh, I'm Jack, one of the co hosts. Over there is Sam. Yes, it's a good day so far. Yeah, I mean, you said right before you hopped on that you did absolutely nothing today in preparation for this episode, (laughs) so let's rock and roll, man. I'm glad that you spent the last 10 hours meditating so we could get this the perfect post-win episode. Hey, man. Look, (laughs) spot the line. And um, I, you know, I hope that CU's doing some more meditation so they can get ready for Saturday um, because, and I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible, they're already two-thirds of the way to their projected season win total. Oh. Let's go. Yeah, they only have to get one more win and they get the, uh, their over-under of 1.5. They also do need to have a winning record to be really bull eligible. So I don't know if we're going to get there, but I like Saturday. It was, a, it was a good game. They looked good. We could talk yeah. about the defensive lapses, but <laughs> well, we can talk okay. about the whole thing in a little bit. Um, this is a this is a lifeo podcast. This is a last in first out podcast. I don't know how many people are going to get that joke, but I like it. I certainly don't. Um, which means that we're going to talk about the latest news first. Um, and the latest news happened today. That we're recording on Wednesday, Veterans Day, of course. Salute to everyone <laughs> listening who uh, served in the military. Thank you so much. Um, and it's also early National Signing Day. So that's uh, – Tad Boyle brought home everyone that was committed today. Yeah, so that would be an order of ranking. Quincy Allen, the four-star from D.C., Lawson Lovering, the four-star from Cheyenne, Wyoming, Javon Ruffin, the three-star from everywhere, and then Julian Hammond, the three-star from Cherry Creek. Yes, and in, in order of position, that's Quincy Allen, who's a small forward, Lawson Lovering, center, Javon, Javon Ruffin, who's combo guard, right? And yeah, and then Julian Hammond's a combo guard, too. Um, okay, yeah, well, we so, can get into that, yeah. But yeah, okay, it's, okay. It's, a great day. it's a great class, and it's a great day. Yeah, so Quincy Allen would be the third highest rated recruit in CU history, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, which, I mean, their, their data only goes back so far. So, actually, Chauncey Billups would be number one, but he's not on here. Um, is David Harrison on there? No. Yeah, so it doesn't go back that far. Yeah. Josh Scott is the top. Xavier Johnson second. Quincy Allen. And then Nick Clifford is actually fifth. Mm-hmm. And then Lawson Lovering is seventh. So, this is a, like already a top-heavy class. Also, poor Trayshawn Fletcher is number six. Don't say uh, Trishon Fletcher did exactly what he needed for himself. He deserved better. He he deserved deserved better. better. And he got better in his last year, which was smart of him. Yes. But anyways, uh, you know, I don't want to, I'm not one of those guys that's like, Oh, CU gets punished by all the recruiting services because it's not a big name, but I will say suspiciously Quincy Allen dropped about 20 spots after he committed to CU instead of Louisville or Georgetown or Georgia tech. um, Yeah. 24, seven finalists. 24, seven Sports dropped him all the way down to 108th on their board. And Lawson he was Levering, top 50. Yeah, he was top 50. And Lawson Lovering has skyrocketed. So when he committed to CU, I don't even know if he was like a three-star. And now he's like 
top 50 on 24-7. Yeah, and, and we've, we've talked about those guys for a while because both of those have been committed for longer than the other two members, and they're also higher profile, obviously. Um, but the fact that Tad took two guards in this class, I think, shows a little bit of growth and where he's expecting losses. Um, and I think he just realized – and I should say, the best thing about this class in general is that everyone can shoot, pass, and dribble, um, including the seven-foot center, especially yeah. so for the, <laughs> for the combo guards. I think that's like – I mean, it's crazy to say that because that's like – that's basketball, is shooting, passing, and dribbling. But I think often in the past classes we've had to take – uh, potential risks on people who might not do one of those things at a high level. I don't think Xavier Talton knows how to do any of those things. <laughs> We're going to have to have him on the podcast to defend himself <laughs> if we just keep shitting on him like this. Well, I just think of him as like the prototypical Tad Boyle recruit. Like in-state, fine, like did well in high school, wasn't really – able to physically dominate in college and got exposed because of his lack of skill. I think that that could apply to a lot of players who don't work out. Okay. I was about to say the, the prototypical tad recruit that we are correcting with this class. Is that what you're saying? Cause I would say the yeah. prototypical tad recruit is, is someone who's rough around the edges, but just has defensive uh, will. And that's basically, I, th- I think it depends on the position. I was thinking more for the guards, for the guards, right. Uh, yeah, for the wings, it's definitely somebody who's just an athlete who gets turned into a basketball player. Well, and like we were just saying, I don't think that's the case this year. Quincy Allen is polished, and he can shoot the hell out of the ball. And it's the same with the other three guys um, with the class. So the the interesting thing is there's one more projected opening. Um, that I believe there's five scholarships. Um, is, Alex, is Alexander Strouding not on a scholarship? No, Strouding is on a scholarship. So that's six, actually. I can give you the seniors. It's It would be McKinley Wright, Deshaun Schwartz, Dallas Walton, Jariah Horn, the transfer from tu- from Tulane, or Tulsa? T- Tulsa. Yes. So that's four. And then we have Dallas Walton and Alex Schrading. Okay. Well, I, we have five open spots, so maybe Schrading isn't on scholarship. I, think, I thought he was, yeah. though. I maybe, think he was. I, I, maybe it got taken away from him. No, I think what we're missing is Do- Dallas Walton is expected to apply for his sixth year, I think. So oh, he can stick around. Oh, okay. But anyways, I you know, there's still one open projected slot in this class. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he uses it on transfer, which Tad has is, is been reluctant to do, but he's, he's dipped in that well more often than not the past few seasons. Or if they use that on either a late bloomer or someone who gets dropped by one of the, the bigger schools. Um, and, you know, the other crazy thing is I say late bloomer, but um, there hasn't been an AAU circuit this year. There hasn't been a really full like ramp up to high school basketball season this year because of an obvious global pandemic that's only getting worse. So I don't know if it's going to continue. I, there's going to be a lot of missed guys in this class. Um, like Lovering, like you said, shot up the rankings, but he didn't even have this full AAU circuit. Plus he's not going to have a full season this year to show what he can do. Um, and I think that prevents him from shooting up even further. Cause I think he's really, really good. And I think it's going to happen with a lot of guys near the end of the spring period. And I think Tad is smart and not, um, using all of the scholarships right away. Yeah. I, I like that too. Also, we should mention what's lost in Lovering. Seven feet tall, 220. He can shoot past dribble, block shots, and he's getting bigger. And he's like, he's growing in height and gaining weight. 
So these are all just like everything I was looking up with that guy. He's so good. Yeah, and that's the thing is it's he's not a Ben Mill seven footer where he's his primary skill is being seven <laughs> feet. Um, you know, Tab Boyle said in his Zoom link today when he's talking about the class, he said uh, he doesn't. The thing he looks for in seven footers is if they would still be playing basketball if they were a foot shorter, which I think is a, a good way to put it. Um, no, that's a good way. I would see Shane Harris Tunks wouldn't be playing at the rack. But. Yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> what a throwback. <laughs> Shane Harris Tunks. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, regardless, I don't think that's. <laughs> I got me. I don't think that's Lawson Lovering. <laughs> I, I think Lawson Lovering would still be a really good basketball player at six feet tall. And I think he really likes playing the game of basketball and being seven feet doing what he's doing is really remarkable. And he's not going to stagnate. He's really, really special. And Quincy Allen is also, I mean, he's a different player, but he's a guy who could put up 30 a night and, and not 30 a night, 30 some nights in conference play. He's, he's going yeah. to explode on people. He, he seems to me and to other people like a, a good comparison is Cameron Johnson. The oh uh, wow, player. that is he's, a good comparison. I do like that one. Yeah, he, yeah. he's just a sh- he's a shooter. He likes to he likes to get a shot off, which we we would need someone who can do that. Well, I, I would I mean, love to have a willing three point shooter on this team who could actually hit them. What I was about to say is our number one option in the past few years has been McKinley Wright because he initiates the offense, and I think it's natural for that. But I don't know if I mean, McKinley Wright's a natural um, uh, like guy who can carry the scoring load night in night out i think he's no and i think i think cu struggles absolutely as the season goes on because mckinley wright doesn't really want to be that primary scorer and nobody else would step up i completely agree i think he needs someone like josh scott who's willing and able to take as many shots as needed um i think quincy allen is absolutely going to be that guy i don't think he's going to be as efficient as josh scott well he is no one because of the threes but definitely not like, you know, every possession. I think he's going to blow up on some people. Um, speaking of prototypical tad recruits, I think it's exactly what Javon Ruffin is. I, I literally – I just think he, that is a absolutely a tab oil guard whenever I look at him. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. He's 6'6", six, six, uh, defends well, super long wingspan, never is too fast. Um, you know, you could argue he's too slow at times. I don't think he is. He plays at his own pace is a better way to put that. Um, pretty big, and the thing that's the key with all of these guys is he can shoot the ball really well. He's a really good three-point shooter, and he shoots a lot. So um, definitely has that to his arsenal. Classic, just big combo guard that Ted likes to throw out there. Um, you know, best he case scenario. He has a scenario. funky jumper so far, though. It is a little weird, isn't it? Yeah, he has to. He's probably gonna have to clean that up a little bit. Yeah, he has the pedigree. Michael Ruffin used to play at Creek actually, um, way back when, Cherry Creek High School. Yeah. He he also played pickup basketball with Jeff Hauser. <laughs> Once again, that guy knows everything. Love having <laughs> him on the pod. Um, the uh, yeah, the Ruffin is also an NBA player. He's an NBA scout. So Javon Ruffin, as his son, also got a lot of that osmosis into him. Um, and I think that he's kind of come in pretty polished, like you said. His his jumper is a little funky, but I don't think it's. Um, not fixable or, or I guess, improvable. Um, and the final guy, it's interesting you call him a combo guard. I disagree with that. I think Julian Hammond is a – Julian Hammond, right? Yeah, Julian I keep, Hammond. I keep wanting to call him Donald Hammond because that's the Air Force quarterback what? that kicked CU's ass last year. His name is Donald Hammond. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of Julian Hammond as the 
Like he looks like he he played football at Cherry Creek and probably could have gone somewhere. He could have gone to Air Force if he wanted to. I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. So well, but he's not Dalton Hammond. He's Julian Hammond, and I think he's a pure point guard. I don't think he's a combo guard. Why do you think he's a combo? Okay. I mean, I don't really know his game that well, so I'm not going to pretend I do. Um, but <laughs> I okay. just see the the guards on CU's roster, mm-hmm. and I see like like Keyshawn Bartholomew and Nick Clifford, and I just think that they'd be smarter to look for someone who could play a complementary role. And Hammond is more of a shooter and defender than, say, other people would be. Yeah, I think those are definitely his two main attributes, which are two great things to have. But I also think he's a really reliable ball handler. And the fact that he plays quarterback really well, starts a quarterback for Cherry Creek, shows that he's a natural leader. Is he – well, not about – I don't mean, like, leadership, but I mean, like, is his, like, handle good enough to actually penetrate a good defense? Well, the problem with him is that he plays Colorado basketball, so we don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's hard to know exactly what that's going to look like because he hasn't played a lot of high-level competition. But he – So, I I have a question. I think he has tight handles, uh, for sure. Uh, A recruiting question is how do we know – Lawson Lovering is good when he's playing in Cheyenne, whereas we don't really know if Julian Hammond is good, besides just the obvious tools. Uh, Lawson Lovering did dominate on the AAU circuit against legit players, and that's when his ranking shot up. His ranking didn't shoot up because he was dominating in Cheyenne. Um, his okay. ranking shot up the past two summers because he went to like some Pangos Elite Camps and went to some Utah AAU tournaments and just killed other five-star centers. And that's when you get a rankings bump. Um, Julian Hammond, and this might be wrong, I don't know, but the, it, most dual sport athletes have trouble finishing the AAU cycle circuit because you have to train for football and campus in football and, and the summer and all that stuff. So I don't know if he's had the same chance to show that off. It's also worth mentioning that, like we mentioned this with Jason Harris on the football team, mm-hmm. that those dual sport players tend to be late bloomers in whatever sport they ultimately choose. That's the Mike McIntyre strategy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get an athlete that hasn't ever played a sport full-time and has only played, like, what, like five months of the year? Mm Because I'm sure Julian Hammond, he played baseball, too. You can just tell. Can you? I don't know. Well, let's check your hunch right now. Like, Julian Hammond baseball. Uh, I mean, like... But, yes, he's he's always cross-trained. Yeah. Oh, he played baseball too. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so he's never specialized. And so once you do get to specialize and it's against high-level competition, you end up seeing a lot of rapid growth. Like someone I always think of is like Lorenzo Kane, who a reference you're not going to get. But he was on the Kansas City Royals. He, was, he didn't break out until he was like 26 because he just didn't have any baseball experience until he moved full-time away from basketball. Well, um, I – I think we've seen that borne out in a few different players that Tad and CU football has gotten in. Um, I think that Hammond on his own as a basketball player deserves a scholarship based off what he's the best. I would say he's the best or the second best player in Colorado this cycle. So, you know, Tad always gets his guy in state. That's what this is. Um, I'm also going to make the controversial uh, statement. Lawson Lovering Lovering counts as an in-state recruit. That Tab Boyle said that today on the, the media. <laughs> did he really? Yes, he did. He said he, he treats him like he is an in-state recruit. Wow. See? There you go. Great minds. 
we're closer to Cheyenne than we are to Colorado Springs. Is that true? Boulder or yeah. are you saying Boulder or Denver? Boulder. I mean, I mean, I mean. Right. You and CU are in Boulder. <laughs> so my, an my, hour and a half. my controversial statement, and this might not be that controversial, but I think Julian Hammond, he's recruiting Julian Hammond for what he tried to force Shane Gatling to be. I, I read that in an article that you wrote. That, well, there you go. I try to stay consistent. <laughs> I think Julian Hammond, he's going to be a great secondary ball handler. He could be a guy that leads a second unit for like a few minutes when, when one of the two main guys needs a rest. He's going to shoot willingly. He's going to play really tough defense, and he's going to be a guy that you can put in for 20, 25 minutes and know you're going to get a good 20, 25 minutes. And I think it's yeah. a really good role. I like that. I, I like that. The archetype, especially – as a secondary player or like like a combo guard that you rotate in and out at point guard or shooting guard. I, I like that. And I think Gatling had a lot of effort and I think he was a really good gunner at times, but I don't know if he was the I don't know if he was ever steady enough as a ball handler for us to to treat him like that. Um, and I think that Hammond is. So all in all, I love this class. It's I, on paper the best class in Colorado history, I think, or at least yeah. second maybe, but definitely up there. I think, like, as far as the rankings go, it is the best so far. We don't know what's going to happen. Like, McKinley Wright, we didn't think that he was an elite recruit. But then the second he stepped in, he was the best player on CU. So we just don't know until these guys start playing basketball for a little while. Also, I was right that Boulder is exactly equidistant to Cheyenne and Colorado Springs, according to Google Maps. Hour 33 both ways. That's pretty wild. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah fun fact. <laughs> um, I think our last thought with this basketball class is um, I, it's hard not to mention that the five freshmen currently on campus will also be freshmen next year. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't know exactly what eligibility will be also. Well, I think we don't – I mean, we, I think we know. Isn't it that all winter sports just get another year free? I did not know if that was true or not. Okay. Well, I think I think it is. And if it is, then basically CU has nine freshmen next year. And that team, that freshman team will be – like that will be the team for the next three years. Yeah, they're not going to be able to give recruit anybody else for like <laughs> three well, more years after that. But I don't know if you have to. If we look through the, the uh, fit, it's actually – they fit together really well, I think. Because in this class, you have Nick Clifford, who is a tall guard that can play on the wing. You have uh, Jabari Walker, who's a stretch four that can uh, defend inside, play outside on offense. You have, oh my gosh, what's his name? Help me out. Tristan De Silva, thank you. Sorry, I'm looking at McKinley Wright's stats. I want to see how many records he's going to break after five years. He's not coming back. Come on. He might. He loves no, this team. He is not. Dude, come on. Um, you're Tristan DeSilva. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> McKinley Wright is not coming back. Do not put that in your head. You will be disappointed. I am putting it right in my head, squarely in my head. I want to okay. see who the all-time assist leader is because he's definitely going to be the all-time scoring leader. 
Well, let me finish this breakdown first. You, Go you ahead. Tr- Tristan De Silva, who's a defensive stopper on the wing, who's polished, can do a little bit of everything, can play a little bit in the post if CU needs him to play a little bit in the post. Um, that's not it on true freshman. You dry a horn who might stick around, probably will not stick around. Luke O'Brien. Thank you. You have Luke O'Brien, who definitely will take advantage of the extra year. Um, but he's an interesting tall guard that can shoot the shit out of the basketball. Uh, and the last man, I'm oh, is Keyshawn. Keyshawn's basically going to have his third freshman year this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he was a retro freshman last year. He actually – so it's only – they get five years or six years to complete five seasons. So I don't think Keyshawn gets an extra year. Well, I don't he, think but he I'm saying he did. Yeah. Okay. But, well, right. What we, so so he's, he's a redshirt freshman this year, but I think that because he's a redshirt freshman this year, he has to be a redshirt sophomore next year. He's not going to stay a freshman. No, well, he is. Because he, so he has six years to complete five seasons, right? Sure. His first year was that sixth year. So his first year was the red shirt. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. This is you're his right. fifth year. And then we have okay. four, three, two, one, four more. I mean, he's not going to stay for five years because he might go pro. But, yeah. Uh-huh. So that team fits together pretty well. Keyshawn's going to be a solid lead guard. Julian Hamlin, Hammond is a nice backup guard. Nick Clifford can handle the ball there as well. Javon Ruffin is also in the mix. So that, there's your four-guard rotation right there with Luke O'Brien swinging down to shooting guard if, if need be. Then gotcha. Tristan De Silva on the wing with Quincy Allen and Luke O'Brien. That's a really good wing rotation, and they all can play. You have Jabari Walker inside with Lawson Lovering, um, and you ideally want one more big guy there, definitely, at least one more big guy. But well, are, you, are you talking about like two, three years down the road? I'm saying this is one freshman class now. We have to group Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a really I was good why you put were... together freshman class. <laughs> yeah, no, it's nice. Just having a nine deep of all talented freshmen. We Plus, also like we're gonna be on Evan Batty's like eighteenth year of eligibility. So Yeah, I was about to mention that. Um, update. McKinley Wright is most likely gonna pass Jay Humphreys for most career assists this season. And if he played five years, he would become the all time leading scorer. And he would have be top five all-time in rebounds that last one is insane <laughs> he's already 505 rebounds the wesley gordon has like he's fifth all-time or sixth all-time with 882 well that may i mean wesley was always gonna rebounding yeah so, i know i'm just saying that that's like the benchmark so let's conclude our, our basketball thoughts here yes I think this class is one of the best in history. If you combine it with the, the previous year's class, I think mean, it's obviously oh, the best because well, yeah. nine players. And also last year's class wasn't shabby at all. It was still top 40 in the country. So No, it was 41st in the country, and that wasn't even including Keyshawn Bartholomew. Or Dry Who had Horn. reclassified. Yeah. And if you count Bartholomew, it becomes like easily top 25 because he was a borderline top 100 prospect, and he redshirted. Like he reclassified two redshirts, mm-hmm. which was like a – yeah, that was a nice move by Boyle. But I think that he should probably be counted in the 2020 class. 
And I, so basically, I think that, that you, we are looking at the future of Colorado basketball, and I really, really like the way – I mean, they're all athletic. They all can shoot. They're all polished. Man, I, it looks good. Yeah. Do you want to move into football? Yeah. Let's recap the real game. Okay. So – Okay. Let me get in that excited mode again. Here we go. So Go ahead. CU had a 28-7 to lead and then a 35-14 to lead. And they squeaked out a forty-eight to forty-two lot or win. Do we think that final score is positive, negative, somewhere in between? I think that the score was bigger. The difference was a little bit bigger because Dimitri Stanley could have run back that onside kick. But I also am so happy with a lot of what we saw, even with the negatives. I don't. Yeah, I think that forty-two is a little dubious because I think CU had an obvious prevent defense there and then when they got in the red zone they just blitzed hoping DTR would make a mistake knowing that there were I mean odds were still super in their favor so UCLA did a good job capitalizing but I don't think I don't think that it wasn't like CU had to finish out the possession on offense to make sure that that UCLA lost um, I, I think it was farther away than the score indicated uh, I <laughs> I mean I really like what I saw on offense. I'm super surprised. Obviously, I was super wrong with how I thought the game was going to go. And I liked, um, you know, half of what I saw on defense I thought was really, really good. And then half of what I saw on defense was absolute dog shit. So, like. <laughs> well, most of the defense was dog shit, so. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. It's what I, what I, they really could not move the ball until Dorian Thompson Robin ba- Robinson basically just said, screw it, and then chucked it 30 yards every play. Because un- invariably it was either a pass interference or it was a catch because our guys didn't get their head around, which well I think sucks. But I think a lot of the the UCLA offensive success or like like their struggles, he was missing receivers. Like those intermediate throws were there. Like that middle of the defense was wide open. It mm-hmm. was stretched so thin that he could just pass it over the top of those linebackers, but he was missing all those throws in the first half. And then once they stopped fumbling it every other play, because really those three of their four turnovers were just no, complete giveaways. No, no, absolutely not. One was okay. a complete giveaway, and that was when DTR literally threw the ball on the ground like he was mad at it. I, I think, no, the, the punt return strip was a legit strip. Okay. The Jamar Montgomery strip was a legit strip. And the Carson Wells interception was like one of the most athletic plays we've seen from an outside linebacker since Jimmy Gilbert was here. No, that, that, that Wells interception was nice, but okay. Okay. So we can say that it was sloppy UCLA play. And once they cleaned up those plays and once DTR finally like could complete a pass because he was really bad in the first half, then they got moving almost effortlessly and they had a shit ton of big plays and CU couldn't, guard the same screen pass that they called 30 times. That was really concerning. I think that was the main part of the defense that I'm really worried about is the fact that they just couldn't line up right at that part. And it, I had Arizona flashbacks because Arizona last year realized that they could just, when everyone was hurt in the secondary, they could just prey on numbers mismatches because no one really was fitting right. And it was just brutal. Um, I, I It got fixed a little bit near the end. And I wish that we had a little bit of fa- more team speed because UCLA is definitely faster than CU was. But I think it cuts both both ways. Like if CU doesn't just completely miss three dudes on, on kick units, um, then James Stefano doesn't go 0 for 2, RIP to a real one. 
I, I like, and then if James Stefano hits those two kicks because they aren't blocked, or if those two kicks aren't blocked, then the game is out of reach, right? Then the game, like, then then it doesn't look that bad. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I would just say that they sure did average 15 yards per completion. UCLA? Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that really happened. Well, how many completions did they have? Eight, maybe? Nine? 20. What? He was 20 out of 40. Yes, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. And most yeah, of those, inc- yeah. do they count PIs as incomplete in college football? I don't know this. They just don't count them. So that's that's without including the PI because how many PI, there's seven PIs six PIs. Oh man, where's penalties on this thing? Yeah, it was it was not good. And Chris, poor Christian Gonzalez, that is a boy. Yep, you just got whooped. <laughs> that was a <laughs> first start in college football. There you go. They are going to target you recklessly. And this is going to sound very mean, probably because it is very mean, but. I don't think Makai Blackman is a guy that you have to avoid his side of the field, and yet UCLA did because of how fruitful it was to throw towards Chris Gonzalez's side of the field. I Like, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, okay, so four pass interferences and one holding. Yeah, and I think three of those were Christian Gonzalez, I think. So, it, you know – Rough. We knew the secondary is going to be the hardest, the worst part of this defense, and that held true. I think it also held true that the front seven, especially defensive line, were compl- like just ruining the offensive line for UCLA. Whether or not mm-hmm. it's because UCLA is really bad at offensive line, I think they are, but I also think that CU made them look worse. Mustafa Johnson finally got a sack. He was there all night. Uh, that fourth and one stop was gigantic, and that was all because Jalen Sammy and Mustafa Johnson pushed them back about a yard, and then Nate Lamb mm-hmm. did what he does. It, it, that front seven was great. Carson Wells showed me way more than I was expecting. Josh Gustav out of nowhere showed me way more than I was expecting an outside linebacker. Um, yeah, I think, I think that the issue then would be that Thompson Robinson is really good at evading pressure, and he was just breaking containment pretty easily and buying a lot of time for those deep passes. Right. And even if he was only completing half of those, those were a very effective half. And I don't think that this will be an issue for much of the season, except for like Jaden, Jaden Daniels at Arizona state. And Tyler Shaw. Tyler Shaw is really good at Oregon. Oh yeah. He was really good, but we're not going to play Oregon. So that's, oh, that's true. Well, until we go to the championship game. <laughs> um, On pace, baby. <laughs> You know, the, the, that's the thing is I think before we go to the offense and how great they were, I think UCLA <laughs> followed the one-man blueprint on how to destroy CU's defense for the past eight years, which is basically just get a really fast quarterback that has a giant arm. Mm-hmm. Khalil Tate just destroyed CU through straight years when no one else was having that much trouble with them, him because CU just doesn't have the team speed to keep up with deep receivers or a fast quarterback, and they can't waste or i shouldn't say waste dedicate one person to spying because then someone's running open so that was the mess that we saw once uh cu stopped forcing takeaways at a prodigious rate and that's what happened on defense i think yeah do you want to move into offense because i only have really negative things to say about cu defense right well as you should because what an explosive start why don't you wax poetic about jerry broussard for a little bit I'm so sorry, what? Why don't you wax poetic about Jared <laughs> Broussard? You never heard that? 
He will. No, no, no. I was reading a message from our editor. Um, I see a lot of Philip Lindsay in him. I like the way he runs. He's 5'8", 180, and runs like he wants to fight somebody. And that makes me so happy. He, like, gets little to shrink through the hole, and then gets big and just, like, he accelerates into tackles and goes headfirst into them. And I, I have only really seen Lindsay do that for a smaller running back. And it makes me so excited about his ability to uh, develop into more as he gets as he fills out. I, I mean, he, yeah. not to throw this on him as well, but Eric Bieniemy also did that. Oh well, okay. Well, that's a five dime player. So uh, there's a blueprint there to follow if you want to be an all time leading rusher in Colorado history. There's definitely something yeah. for you to follow. And Darian Hagen, my God, you are a good coach. Yeah, I see why he said that he looked like Rodney Stewart. Yeah, no, that's good. I, yeah, I really like how this is going. I love, I love little backs who can be short yardage and who can succeed because they just find a hole and get through it. And he has such good vision. And man, I don't know if Alex Fontenot is going to get his starting job back once he comes back. What a good problem to have. I mean, I know Fontenot has been. So consistent, always getting five yards a carry, and yet he doesn't have those 37-yard runs in him that Broussard has. I, I think there's a really happy ground there where because you can't run Jarek Broussard. What do you get, 31 carries? Yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that every game. One so yeah. I think you can let him work for, you know, 18 carries, 20 carries, and then let Fontenot get – 15 carries, 20 carries, and then... Aaron Mangum struggled nine attempts for six yards. I thought he looked... I mean, I think one of the main reasons I, we were looking at Philip Lindsay comparisons is because Jarek Broussard, like you said, is smaller. He obviously is wearing the mm-hmm. same number, and he runs angry, but he also... The thing I, that makes me him look like Lindsay to me is, like, one step after he gets the handoff, he's already at his top gear. And his top yeah. gear isn't, like, crazy. It, it, you know, he's not going to speed through long strides, run past everyone to the end zone. But I mean, his, Lindsay ran a 4-3-9, so different right, but, players there. But I think, like, his, he gets – I think Lindsay did that because they get to a stop speed at, like, the two-yard mark. Like, it was immediate how fast Jarek Broussard was. It was crazy. He would, he would get full speed before he hit the hole and then just, like, sprint through it before anyone know what happened. And – it was oh god! I was not expecting that at all. What a what a performance! And that's what you, I think Mangum did not look. He looks slower in comparison. He's gigantic, and I think he looks slower in comparison because I, I he's one of those guys where you kind of have to get him on like a pitch or like an out outside tackle run to let him get up some mm-hmm. speed before he really turns the corner and goes. And I think that's something that Mangum's going to have to find in this offense. And we still don't know what Clayton is going to look like. What a running back stand. Yeah. Also, a shot Clayton apparently being grumpy on the sidelines and tweeting. Oh, uh, enigmatic things so after the that. game. Let him. I know, no, himself. no. He he's just. I don't know what's going to happen with a shot Clayton. I just know that he's going to drive us crazy with his Twitter. So we should probably just stop paying attention to that because he is very emotional and tweets whatever is on his mind, and those things can be a little scary. 
I no. I Clayton is going to be fine. <laughs> he's he's Darian Hagen can manage egos. It's going to be okay. There's no way that anyone could be upset at Jarek Broussard getting those carries, given what he did with them. So I I think you guys are going yeah. crazy. But okay. Uh, regardless, here's my hot take question: With Fontenot out, is the second best running back on the team Sam Neuer? <laughs> I was about to transition to that too. He was really good. Like he was just just so solid. You guys were making fun of me for wanting an Alex Smith type quarterback. And this is exactly who we have. If he's this clinical, which I don't think he's probably going to be, he was just so accurate this game. And he kind of did fall off a little bit in the second half with his accuracy once UCLA was forcing passes. But he was making winning plays and he was moving the sticks when he had to, including on like a third and 17. That was so clutch. And yeah, he just looks like he has it. He has like his teammates are fighting with him and he's going to make those plays to. I don't know, to get the win. We're, to be fair, I'll make you funny because in your wildest dreams, this was your wildest dream quarterback, what we saw on Saturday. So you better be over yeah. the moon. Yeah, that was my dream team quarterback. I think it was really exciting. I don't think that's my dream team quarterback, but that's fine. It doesn't have to be. I don't no, – no, no, no. Here, sorry. I should clarify. My dream team is if I could make a realistic team with realistic players, what would it look like? Your and dreams be, suck then. What a, what a terrible dream. Okay. I don't, I'm not trying to create like a, a roster with only 99 overall players. That's boring. But why? Okay. Tell Alabama that's boring. That's literally what Alabama's trying to do. <laughs> okay. Fair, fair, fair. How, how did you like the receivers? How did you like Sam Noyer? I, I'm not done with Sam Noyer yet. Number yeah, one, uh, I missed in the previous three years, and this is not to say that Steven Montez is not super tough and did not take hits, but I did miss the beautiful Cephalufoundness of a quarterback just saying, you're not going to tackle me and laying out defensive backs. There is no, There was very little attempt to run away from someone from Sam Neuer. He found his hole, and he just, he just would – I mean, what? He injured two UCLA players uh, for he? short periods of time? Not on purpose or anything, but they were trying to tackle him. <laughs> and people are used to trying to tackle a quarterback and going hard because, you know, it's a quarterback. You have to take those opportunities. And Sam Neuer would not have it. He, He's oh, a safety. God. Yeah, he is blowing people up out there. I think he I think he missed maybe two throws. I mean, a lot of his throws were drops or throwaways, his incomplete passes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, he wasn't asked to do much, especially at the beginning of the game. But he did it really well. Man, I mean – this is also a dumb thing to say, but how? when's the last time we saw a CU quarterback multiple times hit someone over the middle of the field in stride at however whatever distance? Yeah, that's not a common thing. I think Seth we don't see before Michigan. We don't see completed slant routes. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, he did that with Demetri Stanley multiple times. Brady Russell, he did that. Daniel Arias, oh. beautiful, beautiful hit to Daniel Arias down the middle Give of the field. Give me more Demetri Stanley slants. I just want those. And I do have a question. I'm not done, but yes, finish your question. <laughs> How nobody answered me when I asked this to Slack. How hard can it be to be a good deep ball receiver? I feel like all these guys are like the same speed, and it's like not that hard to just run a straight route. I I think the ask is simple. I think is what you're trying to say. The, what people are trying to get, say for you to do is simple. 
But I think uh-huh. it does take some innate something to figure uh-huh. out when to jump and how to put your hand. Like, how well, do you I don't mean ball? with a jump ball receiver. I mean, like, if I run a deep cross, a, a deep post, how hard is that? Like, why, why? I'm basically trying to say, why is Daniel Arias the only one running these routes when he has the dropsies? I don't know if he is the only one running. I mean, look, man, Katie Nixon was out for the game. Levante <laughs> Chenault okay. had a suspension he was serving. Um, his his there's... 4th of July. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, go ahead. His 4th of July suspension. Yeah, exactly. And I guess maybe we haven't seen Maurice Bell do that yet, but we've seen him in spring games, which is also dumb for me to say, but we've seen him get, get deep and get passes. It's one game. I think Daniel Arias hit the deep okay. routes this game. But I, I think we'll definitely see Katie Nixon go deep. We'll definitely see Levante Chinook deep. And I would definitely put Maurice Bell deep. Um, I think you won't see Stanley go deep that often because he draws so much gravity when he's not, like when he's doing mm-hmm. a crossing route. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. So Hold the on. real question. Hold on. Let me wax. Let me say one thing. I have Sam has heard me bang my head against the wall for the past four years. This is the first time since twenty, I think twenty twelve, that a CU tight end has led the team in receiving after a game. <laughs> and not only did Brady Russell lead the team in receiving, there was the most beautiful play I've ever seen, straight out of CU two thousand one playbook: a play action half rollout, plant your feet, turn it around, tight end post to the corner of the end zone, and that was the most beautiful play I've ever. Oh God. That was – it made me so happy to see that because Daniel Graham killed teams over and over again on that route. And CU has completely had success on that route. And it's beautiful to see it in action again. Oh, play action, tight end, mm, chef's kiss. When Brady Russell came down with that catch, I only thought of you. I mean, when you can run the ball and when you have a, a formation that you can run and pass out of it makes you so hard to defend and that's exactly what we saw just gorgeous someone replied to our recruiting article saying man it's gonna be fun watching them throw meaningless passes on the perimeter until the clock hits zero almost as fun as watching great rebounding and terrible three-point defense can't wait (laughs) okay well we have to get that after this is over (laughs) i love to see you basketball so well so let's Let's finish with the offensive thoughts. Let's before yes, we yes, move yes. on to forward thinking. Um, I think we also have to say, and I was very excited about this, the offensive line was not a step back like I expected. They completely dominated up front. Will Sherman looks amazing. Um, Colby, Colby Purcell looks great, though he's hurt, which sucks. So please get back well soon, Colby. Kerry Kutch and uh, – Casey Roddick at guard really mauled some people. And Frank Phillip did better than I expected at right tackle. I, I thought he was more solid than I thought. The offensive line looked great, which makes everything else tick. Yeah. yeah, we'll see what they look like against the real defense. I am very excited to, for the Stanford game to see like what they do against big boys. But, Way to segue. Yeah, I was also I – don't, I don't mean to segue already. Uh, should we talk about the Tyler Lionel decision? We can. I honestly, I think that he was just sticking to a script, which sucks because you don't have to do that, especially after Senor was dealing. But I don't think it's that big of a deal. I had a much more of a okay. problem not going for it on fourth and ones. That's the problem. Oh yeah, yeah, that sucks. You're going not going for it on fourth and one and settling for a forty-yard field goal. That's that's a losing mentality. 
but hey, in my opinion, no, almost no procedural penalties. Um, really clean game yeah. from the offense. I'm pretty happy with the coaching. Really good play calling, just in general, too. God, yeah, varied up pace, varied up tempo. Do you think Darrell is play calling? Do no. we know that? No, no, no. It's it's Shiva's play calling. Okay, then he has learned a few lessons, and I appreciate that. We'll see how long this sticks, because I remember he used to get into rhythms where the opposing defenses would know exactly what plays CU was calling because he'd do the same thing over and over again. Right. He also had an explosive start in uh, 2018, so. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to see what happens. I also trust this run game if it does slow down. It's not like we're just hitting people with screen passes. What do you mean? Yeah. Um, like that 2018 hot start was really just screen passes and quick pitches out to the receivers to make plays yeah. in space. Yeah. And once defenses caught on to that and game planned, it became harder to stop and they didn't really have an answer. It also, like, that offensive line was just really not good. So right. this is an improvement. It's going to look different, and they're using the tight end way more already, <laughs> which is great. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with what I saw. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Stanford? Let's talk about Stanford. Did you, did you watch Stanford and Oregon play? Uh, not the full game. I've watched snippets. I have watched extended highlights, 12 minutes Whoa. of Stanford and Oregon play. That's some research. Yeah. That's some research. I, I have not looked up the stats or the rosters, but um, I know okay. that Stanford moved the ball mostly through long passes and long runs and could not finish inside the red zone. That is what I know. Well, yeah. So they, they had to set off the field goals quite a bit and Jet Toner missed them all. So it, it was a hard <laughs> night for them um, scoring points, but they definitely moved the ball in Oregon, which is a bad sign for us because I don't think that CU has the same defense that Oregon has. Um, yeah, well, Oregon also has a lot of turnover on both sides of the ball, so we should keep in mind that they might not be as good as the reputation. However, I am very scared of Oregon, and I will definitely have to eat those words at some point. Well, based on what I saw, too, it's an easier matchup for C to defend. So Jack West or Davis Mills, depending, you know, whichever one starts, it doesn't exactly matter here. David Mills does have a COVID test, so we don't know if and when he'll be able to practice. Davis Mills. He- yeah, so he he tested positive for COVID. I don't know how long his period will be. He it's still TBD. David Shaw said today, so we don't know. But the thing we do know is both of them are a little more statuesque than UCLA's quarterback was DTR. So, um, I think that helps. Um, what am I trying to say? I think that allows people to pin their ears back a little more, um, and we'll actually get to the quarterback more often and beyond that there's one less guy to worry about taking off so it helps everyone else with their assignments a little bit more however they have great wide receivers and that running back definitely has some juice yeah i would say with the receivers though that their receivers are bigger than they are fast and that might be that that tends to be a little easier for cu to guard because they don't typically have the quick twitch cornerbacks Well, well, yeah, we'll see. I, I, and we'll also see if the, the PI things continue. I think 
I was, I mean, I think Darian Rakestraw was just fine. Um, if Chris Miller stays out, which we can talk a little bit about injuries, but if Chris Miller stays out, I think Mark Perry is going to have to move up to star, and we'll see maybe Keita Trujillo at safety next to Darian Rakestraw. Isaiah Lewis also played pretty well, so we can see him out there. Um, but they're going to have to play coverage because I think they're going to chuck it as much as they can. Yeah, and chuck it to those giant six foot four receivers that they always have. Trent so, Irwin, yeah, I mean, Shimmy Fahoko, man, that guy's a, that guy's a dude. That guy is a stud. He's really good. Austin Jones too, like that running back, hundred or a hundred yards against that Oregon defense is all is always good. He busted out some really nice runs. So I am a bit afraid of him. He's pretty good. Yeah, I you know. I think they're an easier matchup on offense, but they have more talent than UCLA does. Um, and their defense is also, I'm presuming, way better than UCLA's defense. Yeah, they, they have to be. <laughs> All right. More UCLA shade. I love it. <laughs> so UCLA is not a good team. We've no. learned that. No, they We've learned that. They might finish winless, to be honest. Well, it depends on how much game, how many games they play, too. Um, depends you know, how if Arizona sucks worse. Yes, literally, yes. That is exactly what I'm thinking. So, yes. <laughs> Stanford's defense will be harder to move the ball on. Uh, I think CU has to get over 30 points to win this game, is what I'm going to say, because I don't trust the defense to hold Stanford under 30. Um, and I don't know if they can do that. Stanford has some pretty good talent on the outside. Uh, they have some solid linebackers, and their defensive line is big, but it's a little slow. No, no one's that crazy good. Like, it's not Stanford defenses, like, in 2016. It's not that type of defense, but – There's no Shane Scove on the team. No. No Shane – no Trent Murphy, even. No Solomon Thomas. None of those guys. Oh, Solomon Thomas just destroyed lines. Just not Philip yeah. Lindsay. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to have any of that, but they are still a solid team defense that is definitely going to try to force Sanoi to throw. They're going to stack the box. Yeah, I would say that the one positive would be, and I don't know how much of this is because Tyler Schaff is just really, really good at evading pressure, but they could not contain the edge on him. I know number 11 on Stanford, I don't know who it is, nor do I know, nor do I care to look it up. But number <laughs> 11 kept blowing his assignment and just losing Tyler Schaff. Just like every time, um, I don't know what I'm saying. But yeah, that, that could be exploited if Neuer wants to run as well as he did. I think it could be had. And I think that if he is as accurate as he is, that could be that could be a good game for them for him. I don't know if I don't think C was gonna win because of I don't know, they have to they have to dominate the trenches again against those big boys. I, uh, you know, if you look at the line, Stanford's favored by about six and a half, which has dropped from eight, which is what it opened at. Advanced mm-hmm. stats like CU even more than that. So Bill Connolly, our boy Bill Connolly, uses S&P Plus. They project a 2.7 point Stanford win. Uh, Odd Shark, which is one of the better betting sites, projects a CU win by two points. So, oh, uh, they like our advanced stats just fine. I also think CU loses, but I think – it's going to be close. It's going to hinge on whether or not Sam Neuer can make them pay with long passes or long runs. Sam Neuer can run too. He's not Tyler Shaw fast, but he can run. 
And yeah, if, I, I don't know about the long passes. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't see. That's exactly what I'm worried about. I don't yeah. know if, if our receivers can separate, honestly, that far down. I don't know if – I mean, Brady Russell is not going to win any speed competitions. So, I don't, you know, that's it, all remain to be seen. I don't have faith in it right now. I don't think it's going to happen. So, Yeah, also, like you mentioned earlier, Colby Parcell is going to be out for it with an injury. And you could make an argument that he was, like, the most important lineman in that game against UCLA. And they're down to their third string. Is it uh, Joshua Giants is going to be playing? Most likely, yeah. That's who's on Carson top of the depth is, chart. Well, yeah, so you know, we don't know. He's just not. On, he's not on the top of the depth chart. So um, it's it. We yeah. We just haven't heard much from him. So that's the assumption. Anyways, regardless, it's not great because Holy Purcell is really good. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm just generally worried. I would like to see this success continue. I would like to be 2-0, and and I think it could be a really close game, and it depends, again, on, like, turnovers and no, how accurate Neuer is. What about, like, a team game planning against him? So we just don't know. This is the best chance CU has for a win until they visit Arizona, and I – you know, if they can get that, then it's already – this is already a – successful season in my book because that means good tidings for the rest of the schedule yeah okay what's your final prediction um i think stanford wins i'm gonna go with 30 to 24 i was thinking 27 24 yeah i think we're about we're about right there um you know i mentioned it earlier but i'm gonna mention it again uh, boy, good tidings to James Stefano. Oh, man. Retirement because <laughs> yeah. of old age from college football is a weird thing to say, but that's exactly what happened. He and got injured. He got injured. That's yes. why he got replaced by Evan Price. But, yes, he doesn't want to deal with another injury shortened season. So we wish him well, and he was a super fun story to talk about, to talk with. He brought us tons of clicks. Thank you, James. Um, he, he hit the game-winning field goals over Arizona State and Nebraska, most notably. Right. Two things that will cement him forever. Yeah. And by yeah. all accounts, he's on great teammates. So um, hopefully he can stick around the locker room or something and be like a kicking coach or whatever. I don't know. And, I mean, geez, poor guy. Also, James Stefano, you're majoring in journalism. Change your major if you can. Is he? See how long you – <laughs> yeah, he's in journalism. I heard he was doing a real estate certificate. Oh, well, good for him if he is. But CU Buffs lists him as a journalism major. That's so, too bad. Get, get out of that if you can, James. That's too bad. <laughs> you don't need that stress in your life. You already have a kid. Oh, man. Well, uh, <laughs> that both of us predicted loss, but I, I was really encouraged from what I saw. I was not expecting a win, especially like that. I picked a loss last week, too. I'm going to keep doing it until it fails. Nothing like old superstition. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Well, I'm done, too. Let's talk next week. Goodbye. Yeah. See you, Jack. Buzz. Buzz.